Hello there. You're listening to 10 Questions, where we discuss the wet plate collodion process and the photographers that create these unique images known as ambrotypes and tintypes. I'm your host, Chad Shryock, wet plate photographer for Pork Pie Photography, based in Fort Collins, Colorado. In each episode, I've asked a modern-day practitioner to sit down with me and talk about how they got involved with this vintage process, share some information on their gear and studio, and provide some valuable insights into their creative process. So whether you're just beginning to dabble your toes in the collodion ethers, or you're a seasoned silver bath expert, hang on and see what develops with 10 questions. In this episode, I've asked a Colorado photographer to sit down with me who seems to have a thing for hats. And no, I'm not just talking to myself here, but another Colorado resident that's been involved with photography for over 40 years. He's also one of the few people that owns and operates a fairly new natural light tintype studio to capture beautiful portraits of his sitters. Based just down I-25 for me in Salida, Colorado, I'd like to welcome Tim Brown, to 10 questions. Hey, Tim, how's it going? Excellent. Thanks for having me here. Great, great. I, Tim, I'm not sure how we ended up starting in wet plate, probably within a few years of each other. Uh, we live less than four hours apart, and we've never had the chance to meet face to face. Well, you know, Fort Collins is far away, four hours. Oh, yeah, know. yeah. So, Tim, you grew up on the East Coast, right? I did. Okay, whereabouts? Born in Boston, kind of raised there for majority of my life. Uh, my family moved down to Rhode Island um, before I left and came out to Colorado. So that's kind of where they're at now. But yeah, New England. How did you uh, end up in Colorado? Well, I was very much into photography, even at a young age. My dad had cameras all the time. He wasn't a photographer, but just loved photography. And uh, that spurred my interest, just seeing his amazing mechanical 1960s and 70s cameras and that got me into it and so when I was like 14 I got my first camera and by 16 I had darkroom in the basement and you know I was just doing it as a hobby and uh, I was into the outdoors a lot too and a friend of mine who was a raft guide here in Salida told me about a company that photographs the tourists you know going through the rapids and of course being a homeboy from Boston like really like I could take pictures in the Rocky Mountains and, White <laughs> and uh and it was amazing it got me out here and uh I did that just for the first season then uh I decided to go out on my own doing something similar just because I wanted to be more creative and all that and pretty much did that for you know, still still doing a lot of a decent amount of uh travel and all that but pretty much wet plate is at this point 95% of my business. Right. What, what was it about this art form at that early age that kind of piqued your interest as a possible career choice? Well, I mean, photography is just an, an amazing thing. You know, so many people like it. And, and again, I, I got way into my dad's cameras. He bought a, he did Polaroids forever. And then when he got a Nikon F2, that's when I was like, whoa, look at this thing, you know, just the mechanics of it and just the weight and the sharp lens and looking through the viewfinder was just magic to me, you know. So I, I just got into it. And, you know, I grew up on a lake in a pretty uh, remote area, so I was very influenced by nature. But really, I just loved creating, you know. I did a lot of black and white at, at first, as I mentioned, in a dark room, and, you know, just the process of developing and printing was really cool, you know, fun. Cool. So... What what was your first exposure to wet plate photography? Well, I've been doing it for about seven years. And although during my career, because, you know, I shot film forever, um, I did a decent amount of darkroom work and color commercial work or even just black and white creatively. But, uh, you know, then I, you know, being a commercial photographer, I evolved uh, into digital and just went along with that. And it was okay, but at one point, I think it was Facebook maybe, but I started following just 
some a person or some people that were you know posting wet plate images and I didn't even know what they were I just loved to look you know I knew it was old and just didn't know much about it but I probably at least a year or two just you know you just follow things you like it right and ended up being Quinn Jacobson and you know at that time he was living in Denver and I was like wow this guy's amazing you know and so fast forward another year I purchased a business a property in downtown Slida, like a storefront, and renovated it, made a studio out of it. I lived in the back with my kids. And it took me two years to renovate it. It was like a historic, you know, eighteen late eighteen hundreds building, just beautiful brick, great location. And when it was getting close to my opening, I wanted to do something different, just something special for the opening, not necessarily meaning that I'm going to do this for a living, but just do something different. So I thought, maybe I'll find out about this wet plate thing, see what it takes to learn and, what it, and all that. So called Quinn, and uh, you know, he teaches um, weekend workshops, and they were pretty pricey like 1500 or something. So of yeah. course I was like, hmm, do I want to do this enough? Is it worth it for me to just, you know, am I going to like it? You know, so literally I think it was another year. I was like, well, maybe not now. I'm just busy, whatever. But then I was like, I'm going to do it. So I signed up and and uh, it was great. It was like one-on-one. -on -one. And literally the first 20 minutes I was in, it was like, this is where I am meant to be, you know. Nice. Even before he went downstairs and started doing stuff, just, Quinn talking about the process and why he does it and it's just it just was like I, I resonated and aligned with it so well and I was I was stoked and after two days I was like this is it man so you know it's a it's a pretty interesting arc that you've taken as far as starting with film going into digital and then now you're going back you know 160 years prior to that from a technology standpoint <laughs> Yeah, I agree. You know, it's something you, you you never think of in you know in your career. You know, with photography especially, it's like you know you're moving forward and digital, and you know, digital is just changing all the time. You have to upgrade equipment and software, and it wasn't. I didn't really. I liked it, but I have to admit, I was getting a little like eh, you know, all of a sudden you're sitting in kind of in front of the computer all the time, and and you know, I I loved film for sure, uh, and. Digital just wasn't, you know, thrilling me, and I was also really losing a lot of clients. Like I had an amazing career, but you know, every other person was becoming a photographer, and one by one, a lot of my, you know, I was just losing clients because they could find their friend to do it for free or somebody to charge cheaper or whatever. Right. So that was kind of concerning me, and I just really wasn't feeling inspired, even though I was doing well, but. Yeah, so when, when uh, I took that workshop, uh, it, was, it was just the perfect timing, you know. And Salida is a, a historic railroad town, so it was really perfect for that, too. You know, it was like, it's an 1880s railroad town, so like, how good is that? Nice. And, um, yeah, so I had my opening, and a ton of people came, and I had I'd created all these portraits, and, and uh, I was selling, kind of like, uh, you know, selling gift certificates for tintypes to see if I get some interest and I kind of kicked ass I sold a ton and that kind of got me going you know that's great now the space I had was not natural light it was just you know a typical building in the middle of a bunch of other buildings downtown you know so it was, I had to use only flash which was fine I, I love flash I still use it a lot but but uh, as I evolved I really wanted to take it to the next level so I sold the property and bought a house only about a mile and a half outside of town up on Methodist Mountain with killer views and, and uh, with the plans of building a studio, which I finished about a year ago. Yeah, that's fantastic. Let's, let's talk about what happened, I guess, before you actually hooked up with, with Quinn and <clears throat> took the workshop. Had you attempted to make any uh, wet plates prior to that or were you pretty much... Uh, Not at all. Yeah, okay. I mean, I was busy for one thing, but also, you know, I, I had no idea what the process was. You know, I mean, there were tin types, and, you know, I, at that point I kind of knew, you know, knew what they were and the, and the, and the era and all that, but I still don't know anything about the, the chemical process. I didn't, I didn't really research it much, you know. I, again, I just liked it because of the, the outcome, you know. 
Right. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm more of a visual person, like most photographers, and it wasn't as much. It wasn't as much about the process, or the era, or the history. It was more about like, wow, what a beautiful image the portraits these do is just amazing. You know. Of course, doing the workshop and learning, then it was even. It was like you know, icing on the cake that. The process is just so cool and just so magical, and it and the fact that you can do it all out in the open, you know, even even developing film and black and white, you, other than printing. But when you when you're developing film, it's you know it's in a canister. You don't get to see it. You just pour a bunch of chemicals for twenty minutes, and out comes the film, and it's done. You know? So it's just wonderful, but you have it done right in front of you, you know, right in front of your eyes, and you're hand pouring the chemicals, and and of course the magic of the fixer and all that. So. Yeah, once I learned the process, and uh, it was even better. And then again with with Quinn, you know, once we did our first few portraits, and they came out of this the cyanide, it's like, whoa, what is this? You know. Yeah. <clears throat> what do, What do you remember about your first portrait? Well, um, of course, it was with Quinn, and just sort of we photographed each other, kind of a self portrait. And I do recall that it was I still have it. It was dark, you know, so. You know, maybe I didn't do the developer long enough or whatever it was, but I was like, wow, this is pretty dark. And I kind of thought that at first, like, that was as good as it was. I was really, I didn't realize just how well the tonal range was. And and maybe the fact that, I don't recall, but I think Quinn was like, yeah, great, great plate. And so I thought, okay, this is how they are, you know. <laughs> and then I, I went back to, to my studio and bought all the equipment and all the chemicals and it probably took me uh, it seemed like a long time at least three months you know before I could get it down just the pour and the temperature and you know I had a lot of issues at the beginning I mean they weren't coming out that well or or they were dark or flat whatever so it took me a while and, and you know how it is with wet plate there's all these issues that come up and you don't know what they are especially oh, yeah. at the beginning and you're pulling your hair out and you're talking to your friends and Sometimes you find out the, you know, you resolve it quick, and sometimes nobody knows what happened, you know? Yeah. But uh, it, I did remember I had one breakthrough day, because I was photographing a bunch of friends, and I was probably about a month in, and I was like, what is going on? This isn't working. And what I did was I cooled down the developer. I think my developer was too warm. I was up, you know, around 65 degrees or something. And the, And maybe somebody I knew or somebody on the Bastards page was like, cool down your developer, you know, and I did that, and all of a sudden, everything changed, the images came out great, bright, and I was like, Phew, you know, so that, that's when uh, I really shifted gears, and, and that, then at that point, I got my pores down, and I was like, okay, I'm ready to open this up to the public, you know. That's great. I, I think it's kind of interesting, you mentioned, you know, whenever you make that first plate, and I think a lot of us kind of, I'm going to say suffer from this, is if we get any image at all, we're pretty happy about it, right? <laughs> and we think, wow, this is amazing. But if you can really put the time into it, you can really get some beautiful images once you get your technique down, and, and that's a big part of it. So, Oh, it is. And, and actually, when I moved up here, I was going to build a studio and have it be kind of seamless, but COVID hit, and my business closed down. I was on unemployment and I was still building the studio. I actually had to change the size of the studio because I was going to build it as a separate building. And I didn't have the money. I couldn't get a loan, but I did have some cash. So I went back to my architect and we was like, can we put it on the house? And we figured out a place to do it in the second story. And it worked really well. I'm really, actually, I'm really glad it did it because it's really cool. It's a cool part of the house. It's north facing, and it's right, it's right in the home. So it just works really well and saved me a bunch of money. It's just a neat space. Nice, nice. But I guess what I was getting at too was, you know, I was practicing a bunch during COVID, and, and I finally just, you know, did some studying and asking more questions, and finally starting getting way better tones and all that. You know. And I was doing classic things that people do at the beginning, like like uh, too contrasty, you know, shooting too bright and underexposing. And, and at first I thought it was great because finally they're bright, they're not dark. But now, or actually a year or so ago, I've been starting to like, okay, be patient. Let's let's go for the really nice tones. You don't have to have the contrast. And, and I've been getting just some beautiful tones. And I'm also amazed at how 
the tonal range you can get with with wet plate is pretty awesome. I didn't think it was it'd be that good. I thought, well, you know, it's eighteen eighties or whatever. It's as good as it was. And and also the you know the first two years of me shooting, I was you know, now and then I get a good plate, but mostly I was getting these contrasty plates and just going with it. But you know, once you start experimenting more, and it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I will say that's a, that's one thing that I've noticed in a lot of your plates, Tim, is that they do have this beautiful range of tones. There, there's not that stark. Uh, you know, you can tell a lot of times, hey, this is definitely a flash right in the face kind of thing. And and yeah. honestly, I wondered just how much of that was just because of the natural light that you've got access to now. So, well, thanks. And, and uh, you know, there's times when I'll I'll overdevelop it for three seconds, like oh, you know, and it looks fine to the client, but it's like oh, there it is again. So I'm really just concentrating to to do better and and. Uh, and, and make that effort. In some ways, I sort of got lazy. You know, you get busy, you're doing it every day. Or that happened to me with my pores. You had a, I had a, I had like a month or two, like weird. You know, after doing this forever, like last spring, all of a sudden, like I was getting all these marks and lines, and I'm thinking it's the chemicals, and I'm testing the, isolating, you know, testing all the chemicals. What happened? And and they weren't going away. And I was like, maybe you should just test your pores and really make an effort to pour really good. And I've had a good pour, but it's like, what happened? And so I shot about seven plates and just really, you know, made an effort to, you know, to flow it really well. And that's, that was the issue. Like, they all came out super clean. I was like, ugh. You know, so it's like, yeah, that's the great thing about this process. It just keeps you on your toes. If you just slack off a little bit, you know, all hell breaks loose and, and you're scratching <laughs> your head. Because we know that, you know, when you have a problem, no matter how much experience you have, you could be like, okay, what is it? Is it the temperature? Is it the fixer? Is it the developer? Is it my exposure? It can be a million things, and you might not even find out what it is. So it's like, oh, no, here we go again, you know? Yep. So, a, lot, a lot of variables, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Tim, your, your background seems to point towards a love of high adventure photography, like whitewater rafting and you know other kind of quick-moving outdoor shots. What is it about portraits that you've come to love while shooting wet plate? Uh, great question. I've always loved shooting people. Um, I've, that's just been probably my favorite subject, even though the majority of my career was adventure travel. And so after my first year out here photographing rafts, I was like, I want to learn to kayak. And I got way into rivers. I got, I got good at boating. And there was really like two or three professional photographers that, that specialized in whitewater in the world. So I, it opened up a ton of clients for me, even though it's a small industry. But I got a kind of a name for myself because I could kayak difficult water and I had my cameras in the back. So it gave me, my ability to boat gave me access to very remote places where I could get images that no one else could. So um, I, I did that for 20 years straight. To, traveled year-round, especially winters, I'd go overseas and kind of followed the rivers mostly. But also, because you're going to amazing countries, mostly third-world countries where there's mountains and adventure, you know, I, I started photographing people and scenes and all that, you know. But anyway, I've going back to what I said, I've, I've always loved people, you know, I, I love nature and all that, and even a beautiful landscape, it's like, oh, I want a person in me, you know. So as my career progressed, I started getting more calls for just doing portraiture and started doing studio work just because I live in Salida. It's been growing a lot lately like everywhere else in Colorado, but for a long time, Salida was just a ghost town, you know. It wasn't, it was hard to make a living here, so I had to kind of do everything. So I got studio gear and started doing a lot of studio work from shooting jewelry, people, just whatever, you know, so I got pretty good at that. And for about 12 years, too, a while back, because it's a small town, the school system asked me to do their school portraits, you know, the thing, you know, the photos every every fall. And I was like, really? You know, I had kids in school, and I was like, okay, I'll try that. And I did it for about 14 years, because it's fun, kind of basic, but super lucrative. And I didn't really see how much it would help me, because I kind of had this attitude like, well, you know, you can make good school portraits, but it's still... There's only so much room for 
being creative. You know? Right, right. <laughs> but the great thing was, you know, when, when I would photograph a school, you're shooting like four or 500 kids in four hours. And so you have like 30 seconds to one minute per kid. And so you, after doing that year in and year out, it really would train your eye just to see the minute details in light and how light falls on people's faces and people's, the shape and their posture and all these little things. And it, it was really cool the way it, you know, by doing it so much, I just, I had this eye for subtle differences in lighting and expression and and getting people to relax and, and all that. And it, it really helped me a lot. And, and I love it because with, when I'm, when I'm doing a tintype portrait now, I don't have one minute with them. I have them for an hour, so I can really take the time, and really you know, light very intricately, and, and take time with their expression, and we have them relax. Because you know, you know, it's it's an intense thing having a tintype portrait done. I mean, you know, most people you put a camera up and we get self-conscious, whether it's an iPhone or a, a Nikon digital, whatever. <laughs> and then you, when you're staring at this big brass lens, it's th you know a foot from you, and it's right. going to be two seconds long, and you're being told, you know, you're not smiling, but you want to look good. And people, most people, are like, well, I have to smile. I'm I'm happy. What do you mean? So to tell someone like, don't smile, relax, it's it's challenging, and you know, people have to look inside, and and if you're a little off or a vibey or whatever you're going to sort of upset them and they're not going to be able to relax so you really have to look inside yourself and be able to present yourself in a calm way so they're relaxed you know right and i love that i love the intimacy with people and, and what they experience and how they feel and you know and then sometimes you're like yeah it's okay you, you know, maybe you need to do a smile you, you know you're a relaxed look you you look pissed off and 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 old so you know <laughs> you know i you know, it's it's always a historic thing. A tintype is so part of it's like you know whatever. Who cares how it comes out because it's a tintype. But you know, I've been a photographer forever. It's hard for me to say, well, here, here, here's your crappy picture. Give me a hundred dollars. Right, right. So often I might even shoot another plate or two just to, to you know, for them to leave to leave happy. But there's a lot of times where it's like, hey, this is who you are. You know, you you've got a lot of sun damage and and you're. You know, you feel wrinkles and, and you can't, you know, you look a little grumpy. It's like, well, that's who you are. So here it is. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of trust uh, in this process between the photographer and the sitter, for sure. Yeah, huge. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a lot of responsibility, but, man, I love it so much. It's magic happens all the time with, with people. And, you know, I, kn I know all wet plate photographers can relate. It's like every day when I have a client, it's like, is this going to be one of those ones, you know? Uh, and so much of it really comes down to the individual. Uh, often I'm like, boy, I got that picture yesterday. It was just powerful. And then today it's like, oh, they, they all, they're not that great. They're just basic photos. It's like, well, what is it? It's, it's not the technique. It's just the person and, and their eyes and their face. You know what I mean? And, but, I, but I love that because, you know, again, you never know when someone comes to your they make an appointment and they show up and you're like, oh my God, look at their eyes, look at their hair. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> you know well, what I, mean? I, I guess, it, you know, as you think about your sitters, what kind of person seeks out this type of photography to have their image taken? <clears throat> well, you know, I live in a tourist town, so I get a lot of tourists that just sign up. And honestly, the majority of people don't really know what it's going to be. And I sell a lot of gift certificates. So people are like, well, we just got this gift certificate. And and they leave like, what just happened? That was amazing. But they come in, they're kind of like, eh, you know. And I mean, think about it, you know, most people don't do a studio portrait anymore, like, like Olin Mills or Sears. People just don't do that anymore. Right. And it's like, really? I'm going to get a studio portrait, you know? And, and quite often, I mean, from my experience especially, uh, it's usually like women love art and photography more. And th so they're dragging the husband in or the, or the kids and they're kind of like, oh, no, I'll go because she wants it, but this is stupid. But at the end, usually it's the men that are like, you know, cause I, you know I bring my clients in the dark room and I, I, I give a little talk on the history and then show them the lenses. And by the time they leave, like that was awesome you know yeah and i love that and that's that's why i wanted to build a national studio because i i learned down that when i was downtown like wow this is an experience i didn't really see that i was like i just thought you're going to get this cool looking image through this old lens but 
you know, I started bringing them in the dark room, and they see the, the, you know, the image come out of the cyanide, and, and people are like, whoa, what's that? And all of a sudden I realized this is more than just a portrait, it's an experience. So, so if I build a natural light studio that's big and, and fun inside, then to make it even more of an experience, you know? Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think it's always uh, a pretty unique experience to bring somebody back into the dark room to let them see everything firsthand and, and realize that, hey, this is this is uh, something special. You know, this is uh, not something that everybody gets the chance to experience. And you should consider yourself as seeing something that is very historic in nature. So that's pretty Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's still, there's still not a lot of us and and it's it's still a rare thing and and uh yeah i mean i always tell them you know that's like when i show the image i'm like and they see that they see the image develop I'm like that's why you have an iphone you know here it is here's where it began you know, so people <laughs> people appreciate that wow that that's photography this is how it started you know it's like pretty cool yeah, yeah okay so. tim i gotta ask this question so what's up with the hat it seems like mean? there's a lot of hats in your in your images do, do people bring well, those hats or do you have them there in the studio no i collected a bunch and at the beginning i was thinking you know i'm going to be like the old time photo studio and, ah, and okay I, that quickly changed for a couple of reasons one was i kind of looked into getting all the clothes but it was like really expensive and i was like do i really want to do that and i was like you know i really just love this process and just the final image so, so I was like, I'm not going to advertise myself as an old-time photo studio. Even though a lot of people that call or come here, they kind of expect that, you know. So, but hats are cool. And the thing I like about hats is, for one thing, yes, if, if, you're, if you're wearing period-correct clothing, it makes a tintype even that more amazing. So I, I do love people that come and dress that era. But what I really like about the hats is, when you sit and you don't smile, sometimes that first image is like, oh, I mean, I just kind of look sort of serious. But when you put a hat on, all of a sudden you become this character, you know. I mean, rather than just someone there not smiling, you're like this, you have this attitude, you know. Ah, okay. And, and it really, and so often, sometimes people are like, I want a hat. But I would say most people don't wear a hat. But after the first plate, they'll see it. And I'll be there like, yeah, maybe put a hat on. And then they will. They're like, okay, now I love it, you know. And then some people sit down and they, they love the picture, the tintype, how it is, and you shoot too, and they love it. But it's sort of a, sometimes it just sort of saves me in a way, like put a hat on and, and we're going to make you look better. And then, then they love it because, you know, that first one of them, you know, not smiling and maybe they just, you know, we're so self-conscious and, oh, look at my wrinkles and look at my face and I look like a dork and... So hats kind of hats are fun because they do bring that that era into it, but it's also just makes people look like a character because they're not smiling. So I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, you know my my uh, business is pork pie photography, and it's actually named after the pork pie hat. So oh, cool! <laughs> love it. Yes. Okay, so Tim, there's very few people that shoot solely with natural light today. Uh, what are some of the changes in your technique that you had to make due to shooting primarily with natural light? Well, first of all, I don't shoot primarily with natural light. I give the client the choice. I show them uh, examples of both. And sometimes I just don't even give them the option of one or the other because I just look at them and feel what, what, what's going to be better for them. Sometimes maybe it's four or five people. It's like, well, you know, mm, flash is going to be better because there's a couple of kids in there and long exposure, you know, four or five seconds with five people, someone's going to be blurry. And then we only have two chances, right? And then, okay, the second one, well, Billy Bob was still, but now Susie moved and well, here's your two images. Not, you know, and it takes time, even if you want to give them more, it's like, well, the hour's up and, and that's right. that. So I really, you know, judge and, and decide what to do with, with each client. Now, I, I love the natural light. It's kind of my fave because when you get a really strong one in, in lighting and development and all that, it's just, wow, this is great. It's five seconds. It's kind of more of a recording. It's natural light. I love just the feeling of you know taking the hat off the lens and just counting rather than popping a flash. It's all very organic. And the client loves it too because they have to be still. It's kind of more of a challenge. So, um, and, and again, I would say as a whole, uh, 
I don't always get this strongest images with my natural light because it's a little more challenging to bounce light into them. You just use your natural light. And, and a lot of times people's skin, everybody's skin's different. Sometimes it lights perfectly and does the right thing. Sometimes it's like really dark on the, on the other side of the window. And, and no matter what I do, I can't fill it in. And, and, and there's more UV light in North Sky than there is in my flashes. So you'll get way more of that aging, redness, you know, dark skin issue with right. natural light so so sometimes i'll look at people's face like i'm not going to do your natural light because you're not going to like it you know yeah but it's i i, I love it and i i kind of feel like i'm still still learning and, and experimenting with it because it just takes time and, and again it's sort of uh, i don't get the consistency with with each individual person and it's something i need to work on more too you know yeah do you shoot primarily on trophy aluminum or do you do Ambrose? Uh, I do. Uh, yeah, I do the trophy aluminum. Mostly, okay. Yeah. Yep. Glass too. I'm starting to shoot more and more glass, which I, I love shooting glass. Um, just cause it's, it's so fragile, you know, and it's just, it's just neat. Other than the, the fragileness of them, that's probably, I do tin types more because I don't have to worry about shipping. I, I ship all my tin types and uh, you know, shipping yep. glass. It's like, oh, and all the effort, you know, to, sh to shoot, you know, an eight by 10 piece of glass and it comes out great. Everything it takes and, you know, not like lighting it up and, and fire and varnishing and all that and to have it break during shipping or something. I actually broke one of my favorite portraits of my son about three weeks ago, just like looking at it and something happened and just broke it. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. I had it for like six years. Like, oh. But, but anyway. let's let's step away from the the wet plate aspect for just a little bit. So you mentioned that you ship these images. And that's probably due to you know you've got a lot of out of town visitors that are coming in. What's your scanning and archival process look like? I pretty much use mostly uh, uh, an Epson scanner, and I definitely scan each image because I I send out uh, proof for people to order prints which is a big part of my business. Uh, okay. I don't give away digital file. I don't give away prints. If they want a copy, they need to buy their print. Um, and which works great because, you know, I shoot mostly, my basic size is five by seven, used to be four by five. But, you know, they, they scan, they're so sharp that, you know, you blow these things up to 16 by 20 or whatever, and they're just beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing how much so, detail's in there. Yeah, so they, they look great blown up, and it's maybe an inexpensive way for someone to get a beautiful portrait because, you know, the other choice is, well, let's make a 16 by 20 tintype, and uh, I can only do as big as 11 by 14, but, you know, let's face it, a 16 by 20, would, you know, you'd be charging one or $2,000 yeah. and take a bunch of time, and I'd love to do that all the time, but, you know, the great thing about the smaller places, they're so sharp, and you scan them, and you can blow them up big, and they look beautiful. Great. Yeah, let's let's talk about gear. So, what kind of camera did you start out with versus maybe what you t use today in wet plate? Let's see. My first camera was a uh, a Norma, a Cener Norma, four by five. Okay. And I think I got it off of eBay. And and it was great. I really liked it. But then I wanted something wooden just for the feel and look. So I got a, I think, a Zone 6, 4x5. And then shortly after that, I picked up a Can-Ham 5x7. And then I got a Zone 6, 8x10. So I used the Can-Ham mostly because it can do 4x5 or 5x7. And I did have a full plate. My first, like, vintage camera was a full plate. And I was using it, but the thing I learned about some of the... I have, like, two or three vintage cameras but they're kind of rickety and you know how crucial the focus is in the composition oh yeah and you, i would pre-focus and then when you put the plate in or the, the holder in it would shift the camera or something you know or, or bump it out of focus or shift the composition and i was like you know i'm just going to stick with the more modern view cameras because you know there's so much the gearing so tight and all that and so that's kind of where I'm at now. I did have a uh, 14 by 14 camera made by that black arts guy who was out of, I think, upstate New York. And he stopped about five or six years ago. It was probably one of the last cameras he made. But um, I just wanted a bigger camera and I saw him and 
you know, it took like six months. But um, I have that camera too. And I also have an, a field 11 by 14. Have you shot those larger, larger format cameras, the 11 by 14 or the other one? I've, the one, that Black Arts camera I've shot, yeah. I've only done a handful of 11 by 14s. And they're amazing. And I have a Dahlmeier 3A, and it's magic. But I've just been so busy that I haven't done it enough to where I'm really good at it. I think I'd probably be good at it now, but when I, when I first got it, it was maybe my second year, and I wasn't even all that great and consistent at pouring 4x5s. And the test plates I made were just sort of messy. You know, because you're trying to pour whatever, you know, 100... Whatever, whatever amount of ounces and this yeah. huge plate, and if you don't, you know, if you don't flow it right, you're gonna get lines and streaks and uneven development. But um, I do. I just need to get my act together and start doing it more because I have such a great client base, and and a lot of my clients want something more. And you know, eleven by fourteen, I'll be charging like five hundred bucks for, so it'll be great financially. But mostly, just a plate size that big is just beautiful, and it's ready to frame, and they just, you know, and and shut, you know, that you know how it is. The, the larger format, you even get that thinner and thinner depth of field. So it's that real dreamy, soft look. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to do more for sure. What's uh, what's the oldest piece of gear that you've got in use? Probably a lens, maybe? Yep. I've got a bunch of lenses that are probably the oldest one. It's an 1859, 1860 Dahlmeyers. I have a 2B. I have a 3A. Um, what else? I have some Voigtlanders. I've got a really decent lens collection because uh, that's another thing I did during COVID when I was shut down. I was like, I started seeing how lenses were certainly suddenly becoming way more expensive and harder to get. And so I went on sort of a lens buying spree. Um, I was buying maybe one lens every couple months, but just got a bunch of large format lenses um, just so I'd have them and they weren't, they wouldn't be $2,000 in two years, you know? Right, right. A lot of them haven't even shot yet, but I've got a bunch of great glass now that, that's old, and, and I'm excited to spend some time with them because I don't, I don't even know what kind of image they render. You know, there's some there different brands, and all from Europe, but, but uh, I'm pretty stoked. Pretty stoked to, yeah. That's the thing I love about this process is, you know, I've been a photographer my whole life, and all of a sudden doing this put me right back to square one. And, I, and there's so much to learn and improve with, but there's also just so many other processes that I haven't even started to do. You know, I want to do more glass or do some printing or, um, you know, just continue with, the, with how it evolved to, to other techniques, you know, dry plate, all that. I'd love to do some of that. So I just feel like, okay, I'm, I'm 62, and uh, the rest of my life I'll, I won't run out of things to do and try. So it's pretty exciting. That's awesome. Always keep learning, right? Exactly. Yeah. Tim, if you had the chance to photograph anyone alive today, who would it be? Kind of hard to say. I don't really have any celebrity or anything. I think it'd, it'd probably just be someone who just looks amazing. You know, I don't, I don't even know how to explain that because it could be someone that's old or, or a child. I mean, just, you know, again, the eyes, the expression. So there's Look, times I, ca I carry little... Uh, gift certificates with me and I'll just see someone I'll be locally in town I'll be like hey you look amazing to me and would you want to come and, and do a little trade you know I'll get a portfolio piece out of it and, and I'll give you a tintype and, and they'll come up and it'll be really really awesome so I, I do that and I do that a lot just to be creative too you know and are also you, kind of the give you know yeah that's awesome so are you are you on the lookout for uh, blue eyed people with freckles <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean yeah freckles for sure right Maybe not so much blue eyes because, you know, they can just get a little too bright, too light. But freckles are amazing. And, you know, just, you know, again, everybody's looks different when they get in front of a camera. And, and sometimes beautiful people don't look well. And sometimes people that maybe aren't so beautiful, they look amazing. And sometimes it's just a moment, right? I mean, just you pull the, you know, you pull the hat off and, and they just do a little subtle squint. They could maybe do, maybe never do again. But wow, look what happened, you know? And that happens a lot too, right? I mean, sometimes you're shooting and you've got them in their pose and they look great and you pull the hat off and, and they just change something. They raise their eyebrow or something happens and it just makes the image. And it's like, try to do that again. Most likely not. 
And that's a special thing. It's like sometimes you get these images because of that moment in their expression that that was just, you're not going to get it again. You know, I've tried. I've had. I've brought people back. Like, remember we did that? We do it again. It just didn't, they, they can't do it. You know? It's as simple as it seems. Like, hey, just relax and look into the camera. That sounds simple, but it's kind of neat that like even that quite often, I would say more than often when I'm when I'm photographing, um, the two tins I should never look the same. You know, the expression will always be somewhat different. Yeah, it, it's amazing how unique of a piece each tintype actually turns out to be. So true. Yep. Is there an idea maybe for a particular plate or even a series that you've got in mind that you haven't shot yet? I want to do landscapes. And... I've got most of the equipment. I have like one of the darkroom tents, and I want to do 11 by 14s and, you know, find amazing light, which can be tricky here in Colorado because it's so sunny. And so, you know, often blue sky gets bright. And uh, ideally, I want to find myself in just beautiful, diffused weather and, you know, find the right, right location and, and just pull off some, you know, beautiful plates. Have you been to the uh, Crystal Mill yet? No, yeah. I, I, I have with you know slide film and stuff. Yeah, that's but, that's uh, one of the places that's on my list to try and oh, nice. haul all my gear and and try and wow. take some shots there. But it's a uh, it's a little bit of a haul for sure. Yeah, but uh, I I've, I've done a decent amount of location shooting with people in Aspen Forest and stuff, and I love it. I mean, when you're out there, and it's so challenging because you might have some wind and the temperature and everything that affects the plate. And you're making it right there, and it's just that's just exciting when I'm when I'm shooting a location. I, I love that. Yeah, it's great. You know, and it's using all your skills too, because you know you're outside and you, know, you want good light, but you want to get you know good good tones in their skin and movement and all that stuff. So it's you know you, I'm using every ounce of my 41 years of photography to 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 create an image. You know. Nice. Tim, who are some of the photographers that you look up to or that inspire your work today? Definitely a lot of wet plate photographers. And um, boy, I'm not sure if I can bring names up right away, but there's a guy out of, uh, I think it's Amsterdam. I'm sure you know his name. Uh, just does beautiful work, really neat kind of creative poses, kind of a wild look, and his tones are great, all that. Yeah, I would say I follow a handful of wet plate photographers, and I'm sorry I can't think of names right now, but definitely pretty inspired. And you know, as you probably know, this it's great, but also a little scary how, how so many people are getting into it now. And so you're kind of seeing everything, everything from not the best quality to really creative stuff. And so, so I kind of feed off of newer, younger people that are doing this too and, and seeing how some of them are doing really, really well right off the bat. Like, wow, look at that, you know. Yeah. And of course, a lot of the old school photographers, you know, Ansel Adams and, you know, Jackson and um, what's the guy that did all the, the Native Americans? Oh, uh, Edward uh, Curtis? Yes, yeah. Edward Curtis. And actually, his grandson lived up in Buena Vista, which is 30 miles from me. And after I opened my shop in Salida, he randomly came by. And he had been working on a project called um, Descendants. And he shot dry plate, which is what... Uh, what uh, What's his name, did? Yeah, Edward. Yeah, Edward Curtis. Edward, sorry. Yeah. And, and what he did was he he researched to find the descendants of the people that Edward Curtis photographed, the grandchildren or whatever, maybe the great-grandchildren. And he made a book out of all the these uh, Native Americans that were descendants of Edward Curtis's subjects and made a book doing it. It was pretty neat. Yeah, that's a, that's a neat idea. And he lived up right up in Buena Vista. I was like, how cool is this? Hmm. You know? did, did you get to take his portrait? No, I... I don't th no I didn't and uh, and I was hoping to have more of a relationship with him too but I think he moved or something happened but uh, I was really excited like wow and actually when I opened my store because it was downtown I like four or five times a year I'd find like a box in front of my door when I went there in the morning 
and people will be like, oh, look at all these glass negatives and this old lens and these cameras. What are you going to do with them? Give them to Tim Brown that that weird Photoshop downtown. <laughs> and I got some beautiful stuff, even cameras and lenses and tons of glass plates that are local, historic people and places that are actually a few are amazing photographs amazing yeah. you should have put and in like all, a bank uh, dropbox uh, <laughs> there on the, on the front yeah. door <laughs> i do miss that now i'm up here like nobody stops by and leaves cameras in my front door but one cool thing that happened uh, was uh as i mentioned i have a 11 by 14 field camera and and again because slide is a small town and they've been to photography forever so people know me uh once i get in the old stuff People would find a camera and say, you know, give it to Tim. But a person randomly on Facebook just forwarded like a, and I love my 14 old vintage camera that was for sale, but it was in like Michigan. And it was probably their cousin or sister or something. So they just shared it with me, like maybe Tim would like this. And it was, it was a hundred bucks. And I talked to them and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, well, my husband's going to be in Slida in three days. He's driving this. We'll just deliver it. Well, it turns out that the camera was originally in Salida from this photographer that I that had this naturalized studio. It was his camera, and it ended up back to me in Salida. Oh, wow. And it needed, yeah, it needed bellows, so I just had those made last last fall, so I'm, I'm ready to shoot with it, but it's kind of cool. It's like this, just the story it has, you know. Oh, yeah, that's an amazing for, for a piece of uh, photographic equipment to make that journey back east and then come back home so that's pretty yeah. amazing so i love that stuff like that and so many i don't know so many things like that happen in, in this world of i don't know wet plate and history it's just there's always just cool little stories and little little moments that happen with equipment or lenses or whatever that's really neat you know yeah tim you had mentioned that uh you know there is a rise of people that are coming into the hobby now uh, whether they're looking at it as a hobby or maybe a full-time kind of gig, but what kind of advice do you have for somebody that's kind of looking at wet plate? Um, what would you tell the person that's thinking about getting into the process to, that would maybe make their journey a little easier? Oh, nice. Well, first of all, you know, be patient because as we know that have experience, uh, there's always something going to happen, you know. I think the chemicals are huge, you know. Put the time and effort into learning the chemistry and mix your own chemistry so you really will understand what goes right and wrong and and uh, understand what's happening too. You know, I, I guess technically too with the camera. I mean, for me, I've used cameras my whole life. So when I started, and I used to shoot 4x5 film, so those cameras weren't tricky to me. They, they were pretty easy to get to, to learn. But... I would really say that the chemicals, and that, that's been my biggest challenge and my biggest reward to me is I think when I when I have a strong image, usually the, I, I get the lighting and the subject looks good, but it's really it's, it's, it's the final step and the most important step to me is, is you know, the, having the proper balance of chemistry, you know. And... I'm not a whole bunch, a whole lot like, okay, this is historic, stick to the historic processes, you know. I mean, I'm kind of that, but not 100%. So I'm not like, well, do it the way they did it back in the day, you know. Um, experiment, have fun, you know. Yeah. I do, one thing I have noticed with a decent amount of the newer photographers is a lot of them will, would, the plate just is technically not that great with everything, with the exposure, the composition, the lighting, and especially the chemicals, but they'll be like, it's a tintype, it's amazing. And even their followers be like, oh, this is the best picture ever. And I'm like, oh my God, like, geez, look, look at it. The pores horrible, and the, it's out of focus, and okay, you know. So in that sense, I think it'd be great for people to really learn the historic process first, get really good, get technically good, and then if you want to make it look messy or have lines, then back off. But I think, you know, put the time and energy into learning it and doing it right, you know. One thing I see a lot on, like, social media and Facebook and Instagram is people want to, you know, learn the easy way. You know, they'll, they'll buy the stuff and then they'll, they'll have a problem and they just want someone to tell them how to do it without even really understanding why. I get that a lot. I'll have people that will 
call me and they'll be like, or text me like, how did you take this image? What light did you use? What f-stop? You know, and uh, and uh, what filter? And I'll be like, the, that's the Tim Brown filter. You know? <laughs> or I'll be like, how did you do this picture? I was like, it took me 41 years of photography. Yeah. And I, I'll share. I, I, I'm not just, you know, I like to share and help. But also, it's like, you know, you got to earn it too, you know. Earn it, you know. Learn it. But, and and then you'll be better, you know. And, and it's, it's really a... I see a lot of people, and there's a lot of copying going on in photography these days with everything, not just wet play, but, you know, photography. And it's like, be original. Find your style. You know, don't, you know, don't ask me how I lit. Then you'll, your stuff will look like Tim Brown. You know, be yourself, you know. Buy some lights and experiment and, and learn what they do and then, then create your own style, you know. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it uh, definitely today is much easier, I think, to get into this process. I did do an interview with uh, Jody Ake a few days back, and I think about what it would have been like to try and learn this process in the late 90s Whoa. without having access to the internet and people that actually knew what they were doing and, and you know it's there's definitely people coming into it today have a, a very clear advantage over you know some of the veterans in the process absolutely and and so many people are willing to help too it's great you know it's you know like that bastard space in facebook that people are great there and then and they will say here here's what i did here's what i did with the lighting and all that you know and so Sometimes it just depends. Sometimes if I'm in the mood, I'll help somebody out, and I'm like, eh, you know. And, and it's also, you know, you don't want to give away your trade secrets, too. I mean, the last thing you want is somebody to, to copy the amazing style that took your whole life to do, and then they're they're throwing it out there to their clients. I mean, right. You know, you want to protect yourself, too. Tim, how has uh, social media changed the way that you do business? I mean, do you think about that when you're taking images, like, oh, this is going to be a great shot to, to post up on Instagram, or um, is that just kind of a secondary thing for you? Well, there's no doubt that Facebook and Instagram are 100%, well, I should know, 90% of my advertising, so it's, it's really important. I don't create an image like, I'm going to do this for Instagram, but, you know, just like we talked about earlier, it's like, amazing person comes in and wow look at this image I got today and, and that's all you need just throw it on there you know so often you know and, and you get followers and you get likes and it's like why did I get you know 500 likes on this one and this one I loved I got three like what, what is going on you know but usually it's, it's just the person it really is it just touches people the, the way they look the feeling and it's something you can't really predict so you know if I get a powerful image I'll throw it on Instagram and Hope it helps me out, you know. And and again, I, I do set up stuff too, like I mentioned, how I invite models to trade, so I think it would look great in a tin type. So that that's I promote that way for sure. You know, I do freebies or trades again just to and maybe stylize some, you know, stylize and have them wear certain things or makeup and hair and and get something really powerful that's gonna that's gonna help my advertising. Yeah. What what about shooting outside of the studio? Do you ver do very many like pop-up events or you know I special? do. Um I'd like to do more too. It kind of depends on the season. I mean, my studio is pretty busy on, on the on season, so it, it's not worth it me to do pop-ups cuz I'm giving up, you know, a bunch of business in my studio. But uh I like pop-ups and I get a lot of calls for them, so I just kind of pick and choose and and they help me financially during the off season. Um I do weddings. Which, which is really fun, too, and I'm always shooting at least a half a dozen weddings a year. And more and more, I'm getting calls for all kinds of, like, more corporate events and stuff like that. And, and uh, it's pretty neat, the attention I've been getting, and, and really very lucrative, uh, you know, corporate world wanted me to do work. But the problem is, they'll see the image, they'll be like, we want you to photograph, you know, 200 of our clients in three hours. Like, nope, not going to happen. Yeah. So a lot of times I won't get the business because once they find out, like, oh, you can only do 20 and then they want 100. It's like, okay, there it is. Yeah. I had a few weddings. I had one wedding this year. They wanted 60 plates in four hours. And wow. I was like, they wanted every wedding guest 10 times. And it was a really high-end wedding at this ranch in this remote place down by Tyride. 
And I was like, I don't want to do that. I'd have to hire someone, and that's chemicals, and, you know. So I threw a really high price at them, and they took it. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you know? So I oh yeah, actually had trained up my kid because they've learned wet plate just a little bit. Uh-huh. And, and, I, and the process was neat how to do it, but we were doing like one every five minutes, and it was, it was full-on assembly line. I, I, you know, I would develop it, then give it to them to wash and fix, so I'm, and then they would wash, they would fix it, wash, dry, varnish using heat and all that, and then give it to the person. So I only got to see maybe half of them, which, which kind of bummed me out because, you know, that's the negative. You, you, I never saw the image. And, you know, as a photographer, you want to at least see it. You, you oh, won't, yeah. You know, you know but, but it was also, you know, okay, well, that paid my bills for a couple of months, so I was kind of, it was, it was good. Yeah. I don't know if I'd always want to do that, but, but uh, you know, sometimes you got to pay the bills. And, and it was really fun, too. It was a really neat wedding, and, and the people loved it. And it, was, it, was, it was a really cool event for sure. Yeah, I, I think as much as I would like to do something like that, it's it's removing the piece for me that is the most interesting is getting to spend some time with your sitter and you know develop this rapport with them and the, and the trust that we've talked about and, and trying to capture a good image. But if it's just an assembly line kind of thing, it's it's hard to do that. I, I totally agree. And yeah, and my my dream. I mean, I'm kind of living my dream with what I do, but ultimately. If I had it my way, I would do you know nothing but eight by tens and eleven by fourteens, and I'd shoot like one or two clients a day for you know a lot of money, and just really take my time—not just two plates, but okay, we're gonna do we're gonna sit for two hours and we're gonna shoot six plates, and and they're gonna be amazing, you know. But uh, that's my goal anyway. That's great. Tim, as we uh, kind of wrap up here, give me a listing of all of your social media accounts and how people can reach out to you for getting a portrait or maybe if they're going to be in Salida, they can look you up. Excellent. Thanks. Well, Instagram is probably where I put most of my effort into, and it's just Tim Brown Photography, and the same thing on Facebook. And that's kind of it. I have a website, salidatintype.com or timbrownphotography.com. And I even have a little page there of my color work and, and sort of my story and what I did before I got into wet plate. Uh, yeah. And I would say one thing that's great about, you know, my business and the advertising and the end of it is because it's such a unique and rare thing that word of mouth really helps. I get, you know, every, you know, you, I'll have a client, you know, a couple, a person come, and if it comes out great, they are like blown away by that and the experience. A lot of times the experience, they're like, I had no idea. And, the, and we are telling our friends, you know. I mean, I have a bunch of families that like, every time a friend comes or a relative, they get a tintype and they've created a wall in their house of, of tintypes of all their besties and all their family. Oh, nice. And so stuff like that, you know. And, and again, it's just like regular photography. It's like, okay, well, my kid's older. I want to photograph them again, you know. And I love the permanence of, of tintypes too, and that's something I, I push a lot with my clients, not necessarily, aside from the technique and the history, just like, hey, this is a, what a great way to invest in your family by creating a portrait that's, this bomber thing on metal is going to be around for generations, you know, I mean, no other photography is really doing that, you know, prints are going to fade, and film fades, and even digital, who knows what's going to happen to that. But, you know, tintype is a physical, tangible thing, and it's silver, and it's going to be around for a long time. And how cool is that to invest in your family a, a series of portraits that are just, you know, going to be going to be around for a long time. Exactly. Yeah. And even I, if they don't end up with, with the great-great-great-great-great-grandkid in 500 years, it may end up in someone's house because, wow, look at this person from 2020. Woo, you know? Right. <laughs> so it's, it's cool to think that they're, you know, the... What what the story of each of these ten types is going to have moving forward is really neat. That's awesome. Hey Tim, thanks for joining me on Ten Questions. I'm glad that I got to uh, sit down and learn a little bit more about you. And at some point here in the future, we're going to have to meet up and uh, take some portraits. So please look me up if you're up north in Fort Collins. I definitely will, and I'm I'm sure we'll hook up some time and and. 
yeah, absolutely. Uh, open invitation for you to come anytime and, and hang out and play in my studio. Would love to check it out. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Chad. Yep. Cheers. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and maybe even picked up some insights that will help you along in your own wet play journey. I'd love to hear from you on who you'd like to have on in a future episode. So send me a message and follow our Instagram account at 10 questions with any feedback. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast provider. Thanks for listening to me, Chad Shryock, and my expert guests. And I look forward to you joining me again in the coming weeks for a new episode of 10 Questions.